welcome everybody to uh, the latest TDI uh, podcast uh, and I'm delighted today to have our new chairman Dr John Hall of Babcock uh, with us today and we're going to go through some of the role of TDI what we've been up to what we're going to be doing in the in the near future how we're coping with the uh, the covid virus uh, and a little bit about the background of of the chairmanship of, of TDI so uh, I've been in post for a few years now having done my time in, in the military and various uh, jobs out in industry for a few years before becoming the chair of TDI so I know a little bit about the environment uh, and maybe John you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to be in your current position at Babcock and also your role at TDI. Yeah well thank you Bill. Uh, yeah so I'm John Hall I'm the managing director of technology in Babcock which uh, kind of means two things uh, firstly responsibility for our technology strategy and, and applying and innovating with technology across Babcock. Uh, and secondly, uh, we do have a group of technology-based businesses in Babcock uh, working across uh, various sectors, particularly marine, uh, certainly land. Um, my background, I'm an engineer, so I, you know, I started in the automotive sector, uh, came through the power industry uh, into nuclear and defense. Um, and that's how having been uh, managing director of a company that was acquired by Babcock, uh, well, 12 years ago now, um, uh, I've been part of the uh, the journey in Babcock, uh, moving from a company that uh, carries out in-service support work to a company that likes to work right across the life cycle um, and is particularly uh, in recent years focused on collaborative working exploiting data and information uh, and doing all those things in a way that adds capability to our main customer which is uh, principally the UK MOD and, and foreign ministries of defence. Our, our main sectors are uh, defence, civil nuclear and emergency services so they're all critical complex things uh, and our principal job amongst many things we do is is looking after complex and critical assets for our customers, helping our customers get the most out of them. Uh, and where's the, uh, where's the linkage with TDI comes from a number of different places. Um, first and foremost, because we know that working collaboratively, uh, using data, sharing information, whether that's in a workflow or offline analysis is so fundamental to doing our job efficiently and adding more to it. Um, and secondly, because uh, we like to work in collaborative spaces. So personally, I get involved with the Defence Suppliers Forum. Uh, we've been involved, uh, I've been involved for a long time in uh, the defence industry support chain organisation and collaboration there. Uh, and that's what's built for me anyway, this relationship with Team Defence Information and with Phil. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm delighted to be able to lean in and uh, and act as chair of the organisation now. <laughs> and we are delighted that you are leading in. It's uh, it's been a, an interesting uh, couple of months. <laughs> you took over as chair at the start of this year. Who 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 knew where we'd be by the time we got to May? But there we go. We'll we'll come back to the COVID stuff in a little bit. But I guess more generally, um, looking at the industry uh, and the technology, I suppose. Where do you see the big changes coming for the industry in terms of its adoption of the technology, if you like, that we see around? I think um, 
I think that this is a constant theme. Uh, if I look particularly at the defence sector of increasing complexity, uh, if you look at the the assets uh, that navies have, that armies have, uh, air force, all of those assets, they get more complex over time. Everybody wants this capability edge, and in one dimension, capability edge is delivered by a more sophisticated aircraft, um, you know, a fabulous fifth generation aircraft carrier, whatever it might be. Uh, and then at the other end of that spectrum, there's a sort of, uh, I'm going to say collaboration again, um, there's that interconnection of different assets. Um, so communications in the battle space and outside of it uh, becomes increasingly important. So what do you have? You have, you know, you have a fighting force uh, that increasingly is driven by technology and by complexity of systems and interconnected systems. Uh, and therefore, what you've got to have sitting behind that uh, is an enterprise, a set of organisations, the Ministry of Defence itself and industry and the supporting organisations behind that, that can stand up to that challenge. So the training has got to reflect that. Um, and, you know, as much as we talk about having a really effective asset or set of assets, if the enterprise that sits behind that can't support it, can't withstand it, uh, then those assets will not be effective or will not be as effective as they need to be for the amount of investment that's gone on. So, you know, so the support chain, the connection in the support chain, optimising all of that is just as important as the investment that's made in the platform or the systems uh, that the, uh, the forces are using. So there, there does seem to be a growing acceptance from our MOD colleagues that actually, you know, that they spend 80% of their money on the through life support for their fifth generation aircraft carrier. Expensive though the initial kit might be, it is the, the support for the next 40, 50 years that's key. Uh, and, you know, in times of shrinking budget, shall we say, then saving money up front is insignificant compared to saving money on the through life support bit. And it's how you cope with that support. And I guess, you know, the growing amount of data that these platforms generate as well. You know, you look at a JSF generating, you know, terabytes of data on every flight. What do we do with all that data and how do we share it? Yeah, absolutely. And I Having a mechanical engineering background, you know, I can I can come at this uh, maybe not from a from a data point of view. Although I have to say again, in my own background, I did my research in uh, in systems modelling and systems automation and, and early days of machine le machine learning, if you like. Um, I'm sure machine learning wasn't the terminology at that time. It was uh, adaptive systems and things of that sort. So I'm I'm kind of enthused about all the aspects of that. Um, but for, for that same reason, you know, so we, we have, as you rightly say, Phil, we, you know, we've got assets that are in service for 40, 50 years. Um, that means that at any point in time, we're looking at stuff which has got evolution ahead of it, but also stuff that has got, uh, you know, it's become orphan, if you like, it's, it's becoming obsolescent. And all of those things, the shiny new stuff and maybe the older stuff, that we need to keep shiny is all important to the output. Um, so for me, that integration of, of domain expertise, of engineering know-how, together with all the you know, huge amounts of data that's becoming available and what can we do with that data, the fusion of those two things, 
uh, I think that's where the power is. You know, it's it's the combination of the two. Yeah, and, and I think it's that combination that will give us that improved um, availability of our weapon systems, which people talk about being you know, the, the fourth offset, if you like, of gaining us that that advantage that we're able to field our craft. Uh, in, in a better way, sort of, you know, more cost effective way and get better availability figures. But I guess the other thing that's sort of looming large and loomed large at uh, the LogNet, the logistics network event we held just before shutdown, was all about sustainability. And, you know, the, the army have now appointed a three star general in General Nugi to be, you know, he's our climate change uh, man at, at three star level. And also General Wardlow as CDIS looking at sustainability. And, you know, we're just setting up a sustainability working group within tdi to look at you know things you know like you know what fuels do we use and and uh, how do we conduct our business to be more sustainable and I, I did tickle me that the first meeting of the sustainability working group was done virtually which seemed like a good start <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a great start I, I i think it's a great thing for for tdi to be involved in and, and showing some leadership on i I'll confess, you know, it's, it, it's easy to be a little bit sceptical to say, well, look, in, in, the, in the priorities of defence and in the relative scale of defence compared to all other modes of, of power generation, transport, whatever, um, you know, is this a drop in the ocean or is it, is it something else? And, you know, will it really, uh, you know, have the attention uh, within the customer? The reality is plainly it does. Um, and, you know, if I put my other hat on from a backup point of view, um, we've looked at low carbon and alternative fuels and alternative ways within the defence environment. Um, in fact, I think we've just secured some funding from uh, Mary UK to look at uh, electric propulsion and low carbon technologies in a particular, if this is a maritime application. Um, but you know, we see a huge amount of research and applied research in the defence sector now um so yeah it's you know it's important to everybody and you know practically we should also remember there's the tooth to tail thing so if you think about defense we might think about submarine and aircraft carrier we'll have a debate about you know nuclear reactors being low carbon but you know if we think about aircraft carriers jet aircraft and these things absolutely and then again in the bigger enterprise in everything that sits behind that sharp front end uh, there's a huge amount of consumption, if you like, in, in the defence sector uh, around the enterprise, whether it's white fleet uh, or people going about their daily job in DNS or somewhere else. So uh, that's not to be underestimated at all. Yeah, and I think it is interesting that you know we have a, a Minister of Defence which is actively pursuing strategies for reducing their carbon footprint. And as you say, it's not normally the first thing you think of our soldiers doing. But I think even General Wardlaw drives around in a Nissan Leaf just to prove his green yeah. credentials. So that, was quite, that was quite amusing. That's, That's quite amusing. Leadership then, isn't it? That is authentic leadership. It's very good. Very good. Uh, just to sort of uh, build on, I guess, the, the new ways of, of working, if you like, it's a slightly tenuous link. But the next topic really to, to talk about is the, is the STEM work that we do in terms of encouraging, um, I guess, younger people to sort of come in into defence and even those a little bit older maybe to sort of uh, come across because we are fishing in the same pool as, as all the other 
technology people like Google and Facebook and Amazon. You know, we're, we're after that same talent pool, aren't we? And trying to be diverse and all that sort of stuff. So uh, how do you sort of view that in, uh, at the moment? Yeah, I, well, I agree. Really important to uh, to the industry. Um, it's important to Babcock. Uh, and, you know, I know everybody in the space does a lot. It, it's, of course, it's an involving environment. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about COVID again. It's hard not to talk about it because that has, you know, it's just flipped everybody uh, that I talk with in the defence sector uh, into quickly accelerating things like remote working and how the tools are used and therefore, um, again, use of data, use of modern systems is important. All the STEM skills, which are inherently important, you know, in what we do in defence anyway, just come to the fore. Um, I've talked in other contexts about uh, you know, that challenge of, of attracting and re retaining STEM graduates, uh, particularly as you sort of move into the more ethereal data science areas and things of that sort. And um, it's my point of view, if you like, I've, I've, I've said it before in other contexts, um, we have to think about what motivates people. So if I'm a 20 year old data scientist, um, I'm going to be interested in doing the data science, but I think I'm going to be motivated by what I'm doing the data science on and why I'm doing it. Um, and if that's to do with a sophisticated new aircraft system, if it's to do with keeping an aircraft carrier at sea and keeping that capability up, um, you know, these are big, sexy, exciting assets. Um, and if you're working in our sector, uh, you know, you get to be involved in those things. You get to have responsibility. I'm going to say you get to play with things like that. But, you know, you get to be working in that world. Um, and I think that's a motivating thing to do for a lot of people. And, and you know, we should major on that. Uh, and there are many other things. Uh, again, that I've probably been quoted before on. Uh, I could do data science to help Mike Ashley sell more tracksuits. Um, do I want to do that or do I want to work on aircraft carriers and, uh, <laughs> things? I think, you know, that's what we've got to think about in terms of attracting people into defence and, and staying high on the STEM agenda. And, and you know, OK, I say that lightheartedly, but in TDI, I know a huge amount of work is going in. I can speak for Babcock and say, you know, we've got about 300 STEM ambassadors. We've done... I don't know, probably 30,000 school students we've, we've interacted with, you know, just in one company in the past year um, through our STEM ambassadors. Uh, and I know when I talk to other companies in defence, uh, you know, we're all doing the same sort of things. We're all reaching out. And, and a small proportion of the people that each company talks to uh, through its STEM ambassadors will come to that company. But if we're passing that message about, the importance and the attractiveness of working in a defence environment, uh, then ultimately the defence enterprise in the UK will benefit and we'll all benefit from each other then. And I think as well, it's trying to get some sort of career progression for careers that didn't exist sort of 10, 15, 20 years ago. So people can see, you know, you talked about your career development as, a, as an engineer, which is which is fine. And it's sort of, you know, you can see the path when you start out. But I'm not sure that for some of our um, newer 
uh, workspace is that people can actually see that progression and see that uh, that way of doing it. And particularly for the military, of course, we used to have in the past, if people did get overly specialised in an area, it effectively ended their career and, and they stagnated then at some point. So I think there's a certain amount of um, administrative work that needs to be done in that field as well to get, make sure that people have a, a career, not just a, a job, if you like. And that's all part of the piece, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a, in the Defence Appliance Forum, there's you know there's always been a really strong people and skills agenda, um, uh, and that's linked into uh, really important initiatives like women in defence uh, uh, and young people in defence. You know, another initiative. So uh, we can never do enough of that. Um, and then I think if, if you link it to some of the, as you say, the emerging specialisms and skills. Uh, so if I talk data science again, but you know, people who come from that sort of background, um, uh, again, if I speak for Babcock, of course we, you know, we, we've had schemes for mechanical engineers, electrical, electronic engineers. Of course we have. Uh, I have to say, it's only very recently that we've actively had, um, you know, a, a scheme, a recognition of data science and those sort of uh, that end of the set, if you like as being a specialism that we need to um, bolster, encourage, um, foster within the organisation, I think is what I'm saying. You know, so, so, so fostering that, that skill set, that area of interest, um, allowing people to see that whilst they might be a relatively small part of any business's population at a point in time, uh, that there are other people in the organisation and in other partner organisations and in groups like TDA and TDI that they can interact with, um, all that helps attract them in, make them feel valued, allows them to add value, uh, and helps retain them. I will say, you know, at the minute, you know, defence is a sector that's pretty well funded. Um, it's you know, it's, it's a sector that's got a lot of resilience. Um, as you said, that the you know, huge amount of the spend is in the support of the assets. Um, so new programs are exciting; they excite me as well. But actually, you know, so much of the work that has to be done is year on year on year on year, continuous improvement, continuous development of the assets and how they're used. Um, so it, you know, it is a great sector to be involved in. You, you can definitely, you know, if you're a young person coming into a sector come into defence, uh, you've got potential for a long and varied career ahead of you. Yeah, and like I say, even if there are fewer new platforms coming along, there are const constant upgrades to the existing platforms and, and new ways of servicing and maintaining them, etc. So yeah, it, it, it's a moving feast. I, I, I just wanted to sort of um, finish on, on a discussion. I mean, we mentioned it in passing a couple of times, how COVID has so hit the whole whole world uh, and, and none of us have been immune to its effects in the fact that we're we're doing this this interview in in, in different locations which is uh, it's just a novelty in itself um but and we've quickly adapted we haven't had people able to travel around um we haven't had a huge number of people co-located in offices very few um babcock's technology center a capacity of 900 people uh Earlier this week, we had six people in there. Uh, and it's not that the other 894 <laughs> are not being productive. Every one of them is working remotely. And, and that's work for the ventilator project as well. 
<coughs> between our partners in Germany, in Scotland, in Wales, all around the UK, um, and the own, and, and our own sort of core team. Um, all these uh, simple technologies, if you like, uh, that we hadn't really embraced, we just dabbled with before, are just now our normal way of working. So we're doing this on Microsoft Teams to give Microsoft a plug. <laughs> uh, we're doing other things on Zoom. Uh, I think you know it's really demonstrated to us what you can do working remotely if you know you need to do it uh, and you commit yourself to doing it that way and working that way and using the tools properly. Which is quite interesting because I, I guess the tools have been in existence for, for a number of years, shall we say, and we've always just had them in our back pocket. And now it's like, oh, we better start using them now. And actually, people are sort of, you know, growing accustomed to using it. And we were talking before we started about it's somehow easier to get to 10 meetings in a day because you haven't got to travel between each one. You just simply mouse click and, you, and you're in the next meeting. I, I'm not sure that's completely good, but... <laughs> No. It's a way of working. Well, most of us are sort of glass half full people, aren't we? So yeah. you know, this is a really difficult environment, and it's you know this was a painful environment for a lot of people. Uh, but at the same time, uh, and I know you know Babcock's not unique, TDI's not unique. We've learned stuff. Uh, we force ourselves to do things, and we ain't going back. Um, some bits we have to do physically at the coalface, so to speak. But a lot of our work we can do in different ways. And we've just spent two months proving that that's possible and effective. That is an interesting notion, isn't it? We're not going back. And, and, and whether we'll end up in a situation where people's business travel is, is very much curtailed, the fact that people will not necessarily need to go to the office in any way, shape or form as they did in the past. Uh, and you know, maybe the virus has ushered in a brave new world, if you like, and we'll see how it goes from there. Well, we will. Um, but you know, kind of neatly to say, if we can't get our data in order, if we can't share information, if we can't work collaboratively and easily, uh, with all the security constraints we have to respect and, and all the complexity of the stuff we're dealing with, uh, then you know that will be a break on uh, on the capability we can deliver. So we've, you know we've got to just keep pressing on with that. And if that's not a perfect advert for Team Defence Information from our new chairman, uh, Dr John, thank you very much indeed for that. Take care now. Thank you. Pleasure. <laughs> Bye now.